And on September 18, we began a series studying the book of James. That's where we'll be today. And we asked this question, is Christianity more than just going to church? Is, is there more to Christianity than just going to church? And we titled this series, Rethink Church. Because we said maybe there's more to following God than just being at church. And we've worked our way through the book of James the last six weeks. And today we come to the part of the book of James where James says not only is there so much more to Christianity than just going to church, but there is a piece of Christianity that is letting other people know who you are, what you believe, and how it's impacted your faith. Now, most of you, as a matter of fact, all of you, except for my mom and dad who are, who are down from just south of Chicago, uh, have only known me a short time. Certainly nobody knew me when I was growing up. But when I was growing up, I was a hopeless romantic. And my wife right now is wondering what happened to that and, and where it went because I'm, I'm not as much anymore. But, I, you know, I was the kid. I remember in fifth and sixth grade writing Valentine's notes to my girlfriend. You know, my son is in fourth grade now. and He's still at the point where he, you know, he doesn't have a girlfriend or he's not really into those things, which is really good for me. I hope at some point he, he gets there. That would be a natural progression for him. But I was kind of a, a hopeless romantic. And, you know, I, I always had girlfriends growing up. And, you know, I, I was the guy who... You know, my girlfriend, you know, wore my football jersey on game day and, you know, wore my letter jacket and, you know, had my class ring with the yarn wrapped, you know, wrapped around it. So, it would, I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. You were either like me or you made fun of people like me. But you know people like I mean, you understand what I'm saying. And the only time that, that this, you know, my, my heartfelt romanticism as a middle schooler and a high schooler, the only time it seemed really weird really odd, were at specific times when my mom and dad would, would view it from a close range, and I'd be close enough to see them looking at me, and, and I'd realize how, how foolish it was. And some of those instances were, were when I was on the telephone. Now, you know, at 33, I feel like I'm too young to say way back when, but do you remember way back when not everyone in the family had their own phone? Do, do you all remember those days? And even the days before the phones were cordless, I mean, do you remember the phone that was attached to the wall that like you couldn't, you couldn't leave a room with and you had the little cord that you stretched out and you'd knock things over when you walked with it and you would actually dial, dial a phone with your finger rather than your thumbs. And you remember if you had to dial zero, you'd have to dial all the way and you had to wait for it to go. Does anyone remember those days? Am I the only one who grew up like that? Well, you know, in, in those days, I mean, I think I, I didn't even have a cell phone when I was in college. Uh, certainly not in high school. I never had a laptop when I was in college. I mean, the world has evolved. I remember when Danielle, my wife, and for those of you who don't know, the blonde person who sings is, is my wife. But when she first got to college, she was a freshman. I was a junior, and not even she had a cell phone. She had a pager, uh, a little beeper, and I just figured she was a drug dealer for a month. Because, you know, where I came from, the only, you know, a, a beeper and a nice car, I thought, well, she deals drugs. But, you know, she's hot, so, you know, that I'll, I'll work with it. <laughs> Um, but, you know, not even, not even Danielle had, had a cell phone. And, and the world has changed. But I remember, I grew up in a house with an older sister and a little sister. And I'm in the middle. And when all three of us were teenagers, and all three of us had, uh, you know, they had boyfriends, I had girlfriends, there was a limited amount of time you could spend on the phone talking to your significant other. You couldn't FaceTime, you couldn't email. The Internet was not yet invented. If, you know, if that tells you, I remember my... Senior year in high school, we took a trip to, uh, to the public library 30 miles away. I grew up in a, in a farming community that wasn't highly, uh, you know, 
up, up with the times, 30 minutes to the closest McDonald's, 30 minutes to the closest movie theater. I remember getting on a bus to drive 30 minutes to see the Internet. Uh, you know, we gathered around a computer in the public library. My teacher pushed a button, and you could hear, you know, remember the old dial-up Internet that came on the screen? And it was like the, the, the commercial, you know, the, you know, look, kids, I, we found the Internet. You know, and here it is on the screen, and we're like, is, like, is that it? Um, so it was the days when the only way you could communicate with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend was to talk to them on the phone. There was no text. There was no emails. There was, there was no internet. You'd have to talk to them on the phone. And every now and then after fighting for, for long hours uh, with my sisters over who got to be on the phone, every now and then one of us would end up on the phone when it was past time to be on the phone. And after my mom and dad would say, you know, it's, it's time to get off the phone now. It's time to get off the phone now. It's time to get off the phone now. Uh, I'll remember instances where my mom and dad would literally come stand in the room where I was at, and they would say, it's time to say goodbye. And they wouldn't leave. They would just stand there. And I couldn't go anywhere. The phone was attached to the wall. We were in the same room, and they would just stand there. It's time to say goodbye, like now, and I'm going to stand here till you're off the phone. And I remember being an overly romantic, you know, young guy. You know, any time a girl held my hand, my heart fell in love with her, or, you know, perhaps it was my hormones. Something fell in love with her when, you know, not like, like, like the interlock handhold. Remember, I mean, remember that? that, was a, that this was a serious moment in middle school, in high school. And, and you know, I, I remember that, you know, I had this thing. I talked to a guy the other day. He said, you know, the, the only person that I've ever told I loved was my wife. And I said, you know, that's interesting. I only told one girl at a time that I loved them, but most of them starting... In sixth grade, and I, and I remember those uncomfortable moments where you realized how immature your relationship was, where mom and dad are standing in the room, and you tell your girlfriend, you know, I, I got I to gotta go now. And she says, okay, love you. And, like, your mom and dad are right there, and you're like, my parents are in the room. Like, I can't, I can't say it right now because, like, my dad is right beside me, and they're going to think I'm really weird because we're way too young to be doing any of this. And now you look at it, you know, after doing youth ministry for Eight years and seeing high school kids and middle school kids hold hands and tell each other they love each other. You know, you throw up in your mouth a little bit. You know, what what are they? They're just little kids. What are they thinking? But we get to the point in the book of James today where it's time to say goodbye. And James brings us to James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And, And James is at the point where it's time to get off the phone now. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to bring Bibles. We'd love for you to, to have a Bible to be able to study with us. If you don't have one, if you forgot one today, just wave at our ushers. They'll give you one. You can keep this if you don't have it. If you just forgot it, you can use it to follow along today while we study. And then you can give it back. But in James chapter 5, James, James says goodbye. It's time to say goodbye. Now, if you read through the New Testament, when, when it was time for Paul to say goodbye, Paul actually said hello. The Apostle Paul ended all his letters in the New Testament by saying, hey, make sure you tell everyone that I said hello. Jesus said goodbye by saying, I'll see you later. And the last time we see Jesus leaving, he said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I'll see you later. So how does James say goodbye? James, as as we started seven weeks ago, is writing a book, writing, really, he's writing a sermon to his congregation who's not there anymore. Persecution has driven them out of Jerusalem. And this is, this is kind of the close of his sermon. So what does James say when it's time to say goodbye? He gives us a few last-minute details of how to live our Christian life the way that it's really supposed to be lived. We'll start in verse 7 today, and we'll go through the... No, we won't. We'll start in verse 13, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. And here's what James says. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is both powerful and effective. Verse 17, now Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, it's time now for James to say goodbye. And as James says goodbye, he gives us three mini messages, three things that he wants us to hear, three things that he wants us to know, three things that we need to understand in our Christian life to become who God wants us to become. And, and remember, this James knows that the people who are getting this letter, this, this is the last thing they'll ever hear spiritually from him. So this is his parting advice, the last thing he'll ever tell anyone spiritually And here's what he wants us to understand. Three messages. First and foremost, message number one in verses 13 through 16, he said you need to understand in your life the recipe for healing. And we talked last week about suffering, patience in suffering, tribulations. We talked about trials. And and we got to the end of the message and we said we just have to trust God. But more than trusting God, James says when you're really hurting in life, and listen to me, There's a lot of you in this room that are really hurting in life right now because life is hard and life is not fair and life is filled with ups, but it's filled with a lot of downs and some of them are consequences of poor choices and some of them have nothing to do with with a poor choice. It's just life is just hard. And James says you need to understand how to respond. You need to understand how to heal when your life tears you down, when your life beats you up. You need to understand how to heal. So he gives us what I call a recipe for healing in verses 13 through the first part of verse 16. If you have your Bibles open, we'll read it again. James says, is any one of you in trouble? And you know, if I were to stop right now, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if I were to ask this question right now, how many of you are going through some type of trouble right now? Most of you would raise your hand. Maritally, your health, your job, your kids, just emotionally physically, most of us are are always going through some type of trouble. So James says, is anyone in trouble? Most days I say, yeah, I am. He said, here's what he should do. He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anybody sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. You know, last week's message was, uh, it was powerful because God's word is always powerful, but it was depressing. I mean, we left last week and Danielle said, that's the most depressing message that you've ever given that, that I've ever heard. One of my friends last week said, I'm going to go listen to Joel Osteen all day long now to get back encouraged because of where you've brought me to spiritually. And I love Joel. And if I depressed you last week, go listen in for a day or two and, and you'll be good. But we got to the end of last week and it was like James, James is just saying, hey, sometimes life is really hard and there's no answers. That was the message of last week. It's like, that's really depressing, but that's true. So, so how do you heal? Well, James says when you're in trouble, when life is hard, when there are no answers. James says, here's three things you can do that, that will really help you begin to heal. He said, first and foremost, he said, you have to learn to talk to God Honestly, you're not going to hurt his feelings. Are you angry with God? Tell him. Are you mad at God? 
Tell him. Do you feel like God has let you down? Tell him. Do you feel like everything you've ever done for God hasn't been rewarded? Tell him. I love what James says. Is anyone in trouble? He said they should pray. Are you in trouble? You should pray. Now that is like the most Christianity 101 thing in the world to say, but often we we don't do that. We go through trouble and we never turn to God and say, God, help, help. James says when you're in trouble, you should pray. He also said when you're in trouble, he he said this, you should call the elders of your church. Here's what that would translate today. Talk to your pastors honestly. Tell them what's going on in your life. One really interesting dynamic of starting a new church you know, I, I was at a church where I ministered for 10 years. And when you, when you minister for 10 years, you really you have close relationships with people. They trust you. They see you as a pastor. And they really bring you a lot of things that are heavy on their heart. That dynamic hasn't been created in this church yet because a lot of you don't know me really well and I don't know you really well. And we have some unbelievable pastors at this church, Pastor David Cole, Pastor Ryan Holt, Pastor Jason Cummings. But I, I don't think a lot of you feel comfortable enough to call up a pastor and say, My marriage is crashing. My kids are not going to make it. I just got fired. I'm, I'm considering suicide. But James says one of the ways we heal spiritually is he said you have to have a pastor you can talk to. And I want you all to know that we did not start this church just to have services. We started this church to help hurting people. And if you need a pastor, call us. Stop us. Email us. Figure out a way to get our attention and say, you know, I'm hurting and I need to begin healing. Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? Hey, can you come talk to to me and my wife? Hey, can you spend some time with my teenager? Had a mom last week say, I I need to get in touch with you. My teenage daughter's really struggling. Will you meet with her? Yes, that's that's what I do. That's my role. I'm I'm a pastor. And James says, "Are, are you hurting? You should pray. Tell God. But after you get done praying, you should go talk to one of your pastors. Not that we're superhuman or could do anything, but, but maybe, maybe we can help. And then I love what he says thirdly. He says, are you, are you hurting? He said, talk to your friends at church, honestly. Now we read that, and, and here's, again, in a new church, what a lot of us think, well, I don't have any friends at church. Most people would honestly say this, I don't have any Christian friends. Or you would say this, my closest friends don't really go to church. When, you know, when I have a problem, I do reach out to somebody, but they're not somebody who, who goes to my church. They're a friend from high school or middle school or college. They're a fraternity brother. They're a sorority sister. They're a neighbor. They're, they're somebody I, I used to know. I have to call someone three states away. But it's why at our church, I mean, this is the very purpose at our church, why we have small groups that meet during the week. Right now we have six small groups that meet all week long, men's and women's groups that are meeting, trying to connect people to people. Why? Simply because life is hard. And one of the recipes for healing is that when life is hard, you need to tell someone you can trust and you know. Someone that believes the same way you believe spiritually. And most Christians today would say, I, don't have, I really don't have any Christian friends. Who can I talk to? Well, we're, we're trying to create that dynamic within our church. It's why in two weeks we're having a ladies retreat, which is no, it's not even 24 hours. But it's an opportunity for our ladies to get together. And you know what? They're going to hang out. They're going to get to know one another. They're going to play video games at night. I think they're going to have a weed dance party. I mean, they're just going to do stuff to get to know each other. We're not going to do anything super spiritual or super crazy. We're just trying to let people get to know people so that when they're hurting, they have someone to talk to. You know, if you saw our website when we first launched our church about six weeks ago, you, you saw a big orange E, or maybe it's a white E inside an an orange box. Yeah, I guess it's a whitey inside an orange box. And we say at our church, these are the four things that, that we want 
people to experience at our church, to experience God through a, through a weekend worship service, to engage in relationships, to meet people that you actually hang out with outside of church, to embrace serving in the community and around the world, and to be equipped with a personalized spiritual growth plan so you can know how you can grow spiritually and you can get where God wants you to go. That, that's really the, the base purposes of our church, but one of those is to help you get to know people. Why? Because James says when you're hurting, one of the ways you don't hurt as much is you find some friends and you tell them what's going on. And man, there's nothing better than a great friend and there's nothing lonelier than feeling like you have no friends. I've been in both places. And our church exists, hopefully, to to help you all find some friends. But, you know, as the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, to to have friends, you've got to be friendly. You need to get involved in small groups. You need to come serve with some people. You need to go to the ladies' retreat. We can help you create friendships if, if you'll come be with us. You know, Elijah is one of my favorite Bible characters, and we'll study him in a minute. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, I actually meant to end my sermon with this last week, and, and I just forgot it. You know, Daniel said, why in the world did you leave that so depressing? I thought, well, I, you know, I didn't mean to. And I looked, and I said, oh, I forgot my last point. That, you know, that's, that's why, unfortunately. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was so down spiritually. And Elijah's a prophet, right? He, I mean, he's a man of God. But he told God, he said, God, if I could kill myself, I would Will you just take my life? I'm too tired to keep going. Just too tired. And here's what was God's message to him in 1 Kings chapter 18. The Lord said to Elijah, go back to the desert of Damascus by the way you came. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. Anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu, yet I still reserve even 7,000 prophets in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. At Elijah's lowest point in life, here's what God said to him. Elijah, you still have a special place in this world, and I need you to go back to the special place that I've put you in. And you have special people in your life. You haven't met them yet, but you're there. And on your way home, you're going to meet these three men who are going to become your closest friends in life. And they're going to help you do what I've called you to do. And Elijah, you have a special purpose. You need to lead this country to know me. You know, if you're hurting today, I don't have all the answers, but here's some answers I do have. I know God has a plan for your life. I know he has people in your life to help you carry out that plan. You may not even know them yet, but maybe you'll meet them at at our church or another church. And I know God has a, a purpose for you on this earth to allow people to know who he is more. That's what he said to Elijah. Speaking of Elijah, James says you need to understand a recipe for healing. If you know anything spiritually, understand. You need to know you can talk to God. You can talk to your pastors. You need to find some good Christian friends. But he said you need to understand the life of Elijah. And I just call Elijah a righteous dude. I mean, if there was ever a guy in the Bible that could be called a dude other than John the Baptist, it's Elijah. Elijah, according to James, is a righteous dude. He's a guy that James says, listen, if you, if you have one person that you want to live your life like, it should, it should be Elijah. And here's what he says about Elijah. And, you know, Elijah is, you know the commercials, those of you who watch TV, that, that guy who, who they call the most interesting man in the world. You know, he doesn't drink beer, but when he does, it's a Dos Equis. You know, the most interesting man. In the, you, you know who that is? That guy compared with the old Spice guy. You know, the old Spice guy. Look at me. Look at you. Look at me. Look at you. You know, that, that guy. Elijah's like a, a combination of... The most interesting man in the world in the Old Spice guy. I mean, he's like the toughest, coolest, down-to-earth, most gruff man in the Bible. And here's what James says about him, starting at the end of verse 16 and into verses 17 and 18. He says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Then he says this in verse 17. Elijah 
was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You know, James gave us five words here that describe Elijah's faith. And they are five words. I'll be real honest with you. As I put this outline together this week, and I was studying James chapter 5, I thought, you know, these five words do not describe my faith. But this is the standard James is setting. James is, James is saying, you need to be more like Elijah. How does he describe Elijah? First and foremost, he said, Elijah was a powerful follower of God. Would you refer to yourself as a powerful Christian? Would others refer to you as a powerful Christian? Man, they have powerful faith. God's really using them. You know, James says, you need to be more like Elijah. Well, how was Elijah? Elijah was powerful for God. It's powerful for God. Elijah was effective for God, James says. Let me ask you this question. Are you an effective Christian? Say, what does that mean? I'm not even sure. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a measurement of the heart where you could look at your faith and say, yeah, you know, I think I'm being effective in what God's called me to do. Or you could look at your faith and say, you know what, I'm pretty ineffective spiritually. I'm not doing anything for God. I'm a Christian, but I'm neither powerful nor effective. Elijah was powerful. Elijah was effective. But maybe my, my favorite description of Elijah is he was normal. He was just a normal guy. It said Elijah, James 5, 17, Elijah was just like us. He's just a normal guy. He wasn't he wouldn't better than everyone spiritually. He didn't have more power spiritually. Elijah was a normal guy. But he was a powerful Christian. And man, he was effective spiritually. You know, we, we said the, the very first time we met in my house on January 8th, January 10th, I invited five families over to, for the very first time, say, hey, we're going to start a church and here's what it's going to look like. And it snowed 10 inches that day. It was the national championship game. Can't even remember who played in the national championship game last year, football-wise. Y'all, y'all remember that? I should know. Yeah, Auburn won. They beat Oregon. That's right, Auburn and Oregon. So we're, we're watching the Auburn and Oregon game. And at halftime, we stop the game and we call everyone upstairs. And I said, God has, has called us to start a normal church for normal people. We, we're, just, we're just normal. We don't want to have the testimony that we're better than the world or we're more spiritual than the world, or we're more special than other people, or we're more righteous. Our message is going to be, hey, we're normal, we're just like you, but God has done some unbelievable things in our life. It's really why we, why we dress the way we do at our church, casually. We, we dress normal. This is how I dress when I'm not at church, so this is how I dress when I am at church, normal. We should be normal. This, this is who we are. We don't need to change our clothes to look like a Christian. We don't need to change our vernacular to sound like a Christian. We want to be the same people Monday through Saturday we are on Sunday. Just normal. Just filled with God. That was Elijah. Elijah's just, he's just a normal guy. But man, he was a powerful Christian. And he was an effective Christian. In James 5.17, in the New King James Version, or the Old King James Version, I love the translation better, it said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know what James is trying to tell us through using all those words? Not only was Elijah powerful and effective and normal, he was passionate. He's really passionate. He really, really cared. Say, Christian, what does passion look like? Go to Arrowhead tomorrow night at 8.30 at about kickoff. 
and you'll see passion, right? I mean, we know what passion looks like. Did anyone watch Game 7 of the World Series the other night? There's actually a man at our church who was there and did not invite me. I forgive you. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you watched the TV on Friday night watching that game. You saw passion. Elijah was passionate about his Christianity. When you meet a Christian who's passionate about their Christianity, it's very easy to see. Because they're almost abnormal. And what we want in our church is we, we want to build Christians who become passionate about their faith. Our mission statement as a church, we exist to see people who are far from God. Some of those are people who are not Christians. Some people are Christians. They just have drifted really far from God. We exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. That's, that's what we're all about. We're not about drawing people to one service a week or a service in a small. We want to see people get so excited about Jesus that they make a difference in the world. That, that's our mission statement. And then we want to see people become prayerful. That's how Elijah's described. Now, can you imagine having these five words on your tombstone spiritually? Think about that. That you were a powerful, effective, normal but powerful and effective, passionate and prayerful Christian. I wish people described me that way, but they don't. Because I am not these things yet. As a matter of fact, as I began to study this week, God really convicted me that my prayer life is not what it needs to be. There's no one in my life, including my wife or kids, who would ever say, man, Dad is really a man of prayer. Because I'm not. I mean, technically, I'm, you know, I'm not. I probably pray more than the average person, but I don't pray enough to be described as prayerful. And as I begin to set my spiritual goals for 2012, and every year I, I, I sit down at the end of the year and I say, what do I want to accomplish spiritually next year? And I try to set some spiritual goals for myself. One of my spiritual goals for next year is that, I, that I've become a man of prayer to the point where my wife and my, and my kids notice it, a real man of prayer. One of my goals for next year is I'm going to study for 12 months the first and second great awakenings because I love church history. And I want to see what happened to make the whole world stand up and take notice of God. Who were the people that created that and, and how did that work? And then, and then next year I want to study the life and ministry of Charles Spurgeon more than I have, one of the best-known preachers that, that has ever lived. And, and this is outside of reading my Bible and doing all those other things. But these are some goals that I have for myself because I want to be powerful and effective and passionate and prayerful, and I'm not. And listen, there's no sin in saying I'm not Elijah. But, but there, is a, there is a bit of, um, I can't think of the word off, off the top of my head, there, there's a, a bit of lethargy, being lethargic, being lazy if you say, yeah, Elijah's like that. I'm not. I don't care. James says Elijah was just like us. But God used him in an incredible way because of these things in his life. Every one of us should hear that and aspire to those things. And that, that's what James is saying. So James is saying, before I leave, you need to understand how to heal when you're hurting. Before I leave, you need to understand who Elijah is and how this guy can impact your life spiritually. And then message number three, he said, before I leave, every person needs to understand the opportunity they have. To rescue people. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to understand. This is what James leaves us with. The last words he'll ever write to us. You need to understand the opportunity that you have to rescue people who really need God to do something in their life. In James verses, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, James says this. My brothers, if one of you should wonder from the truth... And someone should bring him back. If you have your Bible open, underline or highlight or circle those words, someone should bring him back. 
If you know someone who's really far from where they need to be and you do something about it, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. This is really an interesting thought because the beginning of the chapter in the book of James says that that hurting people, hurting people in the church should do these three things. They should talk to God. They should talk to a pastor. They should talk to a Christian friend. But what about hurting people who are not in the church? What about hurting people who have never been to church? What about hurting people who don't believe in God, who don't love God, who have never been, who have never been impacted by God? What about hurting people who exist outside the church? And they don't know how to get healing like we know how to get healing. What do, we, what do they do? They just keep going down the wrong road till, till death do them part? James says you have to find people like that and you have to rescue them. He uses a word that, that can really seem judgmental. So I want to put it in perspective. He said if anyone should turn a sinner around. Well, what, what is a sinner? Well, the Bible defines a, a sinner this way. This is a word used often and it's not usually used in judgment of others. As a matter of fact, one of the first times it's used in Scripture, Romans 5.8, Paul says, while... What's the personal pronoun up there? Can you all see that? While... We, while we were still sinners. So you say, who's the sinner? Us. I mean, before we go judge everyone, who's the sinner? Us. We are. Now, we've been rescued, but we are no better than anyone else. We were on the wrong path. We just got rescued. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So we, corporately the Bible says, are are sinners. We've just been forgiven, thank God. I personally am a sinner, according to the Apostle Paul. I I want you to say these words. I am a sinner. Say it one more time. You know, if you would say that out loud, some of your friends wouldn't feel so judged by you spiritually. You might actually have a chance to reach them. Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying, Jesus changes sinners. And he said, I was like the worst one ever. Man, when we have that attitude, we're at a good place to help people. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. So we're sinners. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, you're actually who I'm looking for. Who are sinners? The people that Jesus is looking for. And in Luke 15, 7, Jesus said, I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So we're sinners. I'm a sinner. Jesus loves sinners. And heaven is waiting for sinners to be changed. Heaven is filled with former sinners so this is not a judgmental term of us versus them christians versus sinners this is just a statement of people who are people who are far from god need to be rescued and some of them don't even realize they're on the wrong road first corinthians 118 says this the message of the cross what is that christianity church stuff is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved it's the power of god James says there are some people heading down the wrong road spiritually that that think Christians are nuts. And they think passionate Christians are crazy. And, And they look at Christianity and they say, you're crazy. And only we know that what we have can actually save them. You know, if you don't live inside the world of somebody else, you can't truly understand it. Again, you want to see some crazy people? Go to Arrowhead Stadium. A few years ago, I got tickets given to me on a Christmas Eve and I took my son Christian to a game. And it was freezing. It it was a, I can't even remember who they were playing, but Christian and I, my son went. He was five or six. It was his first NFL game, Christmas Eve. I think they might have been playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And um, it was just freezing outside. 
And we're sitting and we're, we're bundled up. And as, if you sit at a football game as like a casual bystander, you realize that like people in the set, they look crazy. Like Christian, you know, would ask me, say, Dad, Dad, how come those guys don't have their shirts on and they have pain all over their chest? Because it's like 20 degrees. Well, Christian, they're crazy. I mean, that, you know, that's the only way to say it. They, Dad, 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 why does that guy have the opposing team's jersey on? And he has like arrows shot, uh, you know, all over himself. If you've been to the game, you've seen that arrow guy who, you know, why, 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 Dad, why does that guy get arrows all over him? Well, son, he, you know, he's crazy. Um, you know, there, there were a couple fans that got into a fight with some Chiefs fans. We were in the upper deck and they were right below us. And they're just fighting and they all got taken out by security. And Dad said, Christian... Christian said, Dad, why are, Dad, why are they fighting? Well, they're like, they're crazy, Christian. There was one random Packers fan who was there with a the block of cheese on his head. And Christian said, Dad, why does that guy have cheese on his head? I mean, if you exist outside of one world and you go into another, it's like, that makes no sense at all. Now, because I was raised in football, I was able to answer all those questions. That's what you do at a football game. But some people look at church say, why... Why are those people singing? Why are they raising their hands? Why do they go to church? Why do they give money to their church? Why are they always telling people about it? They just think we're crazy. They just, you know, what that church is crazy. Because they, they don't know what we know. They're heading the wrong way, and, and they don't even know they're on the wrong road. Last week, Danielle and I, two weeks ago, were in Lynchburg, Virginia. One of the, the oversight boards of our church, we have a board in Atlanta and a, and a group in Lynchburg, Virginia at Liberty University who have, who have helped us plan our church. And they're really our oversight board. They approve all our budgets and they approve who we can hire and how much we can pay people and how much we can spend. I mean, they're really in charge of our church right now. And we have to go spend time with them a few times a year. And we were driving from Lynchburg back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where we were going to fly out very late at night. It was like after midnight. We were just exhausted. It was a whirlwind of a trip. And Danielle's kind of half asleep and in between sleep i think is playing angry birds on her phone you know not paying any attention at all and i'm just trying to stay awake and she asked me you know into the right she said uh, hey let me know when we get out of virginia and i said danielle we've been in north carolina for an hour and just you know going 70 on the freeway just driving to nowhere and she pulls out her deal and says we've been driving the wrong way for an hour and it's midnight, and I'm exhausted. And I almost started crying. I, you know, I was so tired and exhausted. I thought, how do we do it? We're having conversations. She's shooting the pigs with the angry birds. I'm driving along, and like we're going 75 miles an hour down a road that's leading us in the wrong direction, and we don't even know it. And you know what? A lot of us have people like that in our lives. They are just living their life, playing their games, having their conversations. They have the cruise control set. And they're literally driving to the wrong place. They have no idea how to get to the destination of hope, of forgiveness, of peace, of love, of healing. And you and I at some point have to be a road sign that says, you're going the wrong way. Let me help you. You know, I don't, I don't know if you all heard the story two weeks ago, an incredible story about Gordon and Norma Yeager. Did any of you hear this story about a couple from Iowa who was killed two weeks ago in a car accident? They'd been married for 72 years. He was 94, she was 90. Dad wouldn't let them get engaged until she graduated from high school. So literally, minutes after her graduation, they got engaged. And that evening, they got married. And 72 years later, last week, they're both alive. We're, we're, we're living, we're in pretty good health. They decided to go into town to get some groceries. And on their way into town, they got in a car accident. And both of them had had injuries that they found out that were not going to heal at 94 and 90. 
So they took him into the, to the ER and they said all the husband cared about was the wife. How is she? Is she okay? Is she going to make it? All the wife cared about was, was the husband. Is Gordon going to be okay? Is he going to be all right? Is he going to make it? And after working on them separately for an hour, they realized that neither one of them were going to make it. And they told him the news, you're not, you're not going to make it. And they requested to be put in a room together so at least they could be together when they died. And at 94 and 90, they put him into a quiet room in the hospital. And they reached over and they held hands. Gordon, 94. His wife, Norma, 90. And they lay there dying and they fell asleep holding hands. And at 94, Gordon slipped into eternity. The family was gathered around the room and they were waiting and the doctors came in and said, your dad has passed, do you want us to take him? And they said, no, just leave him. Leave him with mom. We want him to be with mom as as long as he can. About 20 minutes after he had died, they realized his heart monitor was going off again. So they ran and got the doctor and said, his heart is beating again. And they came out and they realized it was her heartbeat through them holding hands that was actually beating in his monitor, her life in him. And 60 minutes after he died, she died. The son made a statement at the funeral last week. The son's Dennis Yeager. He's 52 years old. He said, you know, dad would never go anywhere without mom. And dad would never walk into a building without holding the door to make sure that mom went in first. And he said, I have to imagine for 60 minutes, my dad stood outside the door of heaven, waiting, refusing to go in, until mom came to go first so they could walk in together. Now let me ask you this question. One day we're going to leave this world and we're going to go to eternity. Who in your life are you going to open the door of eternity to so that they can see the way in? You know, James ends this message with this thought. It's not all about you. It's about people that you can help, people that you can rescue. And you know what? You can't convert them overnight. But do you remember the first words that Jesus ever said to the disciples? Most of you are going to get them wrong. Let me ask you, if I ask you the first words that Jesus ever said to his disciples, what were they? It was not follow me. The first words Jesus ever uttered to his disciples, when they came to see him, they asked him if he was a rabbi, and here's what Jesus said to them. Come and see. Come and see. Come check it out for yourself. You know what? You don't have to ask for your friend to come join our church. You don't have to ask your friend to come become a Christian. You don't have to ask your friend. You know what you need to say to your friend? Hey, I'm going to a new church. You need to come and see it. Come and check it out. Come and see. Maybe God will do something incredible. Maybe it won't happen. But all we can do is invite people to come and see. And you know, as we end this message today, a couple things I want to say before we end. One, I want you to know that maybe you were brought here today. Maybe God made sure you were here today so that we could open the, door of heaven to you, open the door of heaven to you and say, come on in. Maybe you were brought here today so you could become a Christian. But maybe you're here today and you are a Christian and you know one day that door is going to be open for you and maybe you're here today for a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a neighbor or an old friend or a colleague or a coworker or an employee or a boss. So that you can go this week and say, you need to come see. Come see this new church we're going to. It's pretty loud. Might bring earplugs. And you know, the pastor doesn't wear a suit. And there's like a bathtub on, on the sidewalk sometimes. I mean, you know, but you need to come and see it. Just come and see. You don't have to come follow. Jesus would then later say to his disciples, after he said, come and see, he said, come follow. 
And then after he said, come follow, he said, come and die. We don't have to ask anyone to come follow right now. We don't even have to ask anyone to come die right now. All we got to do is come and see. Come see what we're doing. So are you just trying to build your church? No, we're trying to reach people. But you know the people that we need to reach. And they might come if you ask them to come and see. So we're going to close today with two prayers. One, maybe today is the day that the door of heaven is opened for you. And you get to enter through that eternal gate in your heart that one day you'll walk through physically. And then we're going to pray for some people in your life who it would be your greatest honor to open the door of heaven for them and to hold it open and to pray that maybe they would walk through. Can you bow your heads with me today and close your eyes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And if you're in the room today, and today is the day that you need to walk through the door of eternity. Today is the day you need to recognize you need God. And Jesus, as much as it's hard to believe, by faith you can just trust He really came, he really died, he really rose from the dead. He can forgive you and change you. If today you need to become a Christian, not join a church, but become become a Christian, give your heart to God finally. Just pray this prayer after me. You don't even have to pray it out loud, just pray it in your heart. The Bible says it's with the heart we believe, and then later with the mouth we confess. So just pray this prayer in your heart, not even out loud. Dear God, today I want to follow you. I need your healing in my life. And I want to go to heaven when I die. Live with you forever. So forgive me of my sin. And today, on October 30th, 2011, I commit my life to you to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Clean me from the inside out. Let me live for you the rest of my life. And let me live in heaven one day. With heads bowed and eyes closed, please nobody looking around out of respect for those around you. If you just prayed that prayer today with me. Today you gave your your heart and life to God through Jesus. Would you just lift your hand up just real quick? Say, yeah, Christian, I prayed that prayer. Yes. Anybody else? Christian, I just prayed that prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Father, thank you for that. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I wonder how many of you know someone that's on the wrong road, living life not even knowing they're going the wrong way. And today, God has spoken to your heart that somehow you need to reach out to them and try to turn their life around. If you are in here and and that's your prayer, you're thinking of a specific person that you know really needs God in their life and you're praying that maybe you can do something about it, would you just raise your hand up with nobody looking around? I just want to pray for all of you who say, I have a specific person. God, I pray for all these hands raised. I don't know who they represent, but you do. But Lord, that picture of this couple, the Jaegers, Lord, until their heart begins to beat for you, would you let our heart for you begin to impact them so they can begin to be touched spiritually? And God, may you allow us the honor in their life, whether through an invitation, through prayer, through an email, through a letter, through whatever. Would you allow us the honor of opening the door of heaven to them so their sins could be forgiven, their life could be changed, the course of their life turned around forever. And God, eternity theirs because you came and lived and died and raised from the dead for us. 
it would be our honor. So everyone who raised a hand, God, you know who they're talking about. And the who's, some of them, it's more than one. Lead them to make a difference and to turn someone from the error of their way and change their life forever. We love you. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Here's